0: Welcome to Of One Heart, the podcast where we learn the life stories of members of the Anacortes Ward family. The mission of this podcast is to help us, as Anacortes Ward family members, to come to know each other and to connect with each other in richer and more meaningful ways. During the podcast, the hosts will ask questions that allow the individual being interviewed an opportunity to tell their life story. As we come to know each other and as we are willing to be known, our connections to one another will deepen and our shared quest to become of one heart and one mind will be encouraged. These interviews can also be used as a basis to start a life story to be shared with your own posterity.
1: This is our first uh, broadcast of the Anacorda Ward Family Life Stories podcast. And this evening, I am joined by my co-host, Christine. Hello. And I am Brian Murray. And our first guinea pig for the podcast is Kayleen Cornelius. Hello. So we're going to encourage Kayleen to talk as much as she can about her life. The object of this podcast is to help us connect better with our fellow uh, Ward family members. So the hope is that as we um tell our life stories that we can understand each other a little bit better and have more of a connection so that we uh, maybe feel more freely to to share our thoughts and feelings with one another. So Kaylee, why don't we start with you telling us about where you were born and how you grew up and about your family. Okay. I thought we were gonna start with the prayer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I thought you were gonna say okay. I So I
2: was born in Washington, D.C. My dad was in the military, so he was attending medical school at the military medical school in D.C., which you might know what it's called. It's
1: Bethesda. Is where it's at. Bethesda, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, In Maryland. So. Uniform, services, something something, something,
2: Something like that. So I was born in D.C., and then we moved about six or seven times. In my childhood. So I um, don't feel like I have a place that I grew up, per se. When I was 11, we moved to El Paso, Texas, and we were there until I was 16. So I kind of referenced that as my formative years. And then when I was 16, a junior in high school, my family moved to Puyallup, Washington. Um, My dad was stationed at Madigan Army Medical Center down there. And I graduated from high school there. And then my parents lived there for. All of my adult life until about a year ago when they
1: moved to Stanwood. Okay, so tell me about your your upbringing, the your, and your, siblings. your siblings. Okay, and, oh yeah, my and, and your parents, kind of what they yeah. were like, and
2: so I think okay, I have an older sister and two younger brothers, and we, I think, being military and moving together, there was this sense of having each other and being close to each other in that. You moved frequently, and so you knew that your siblings were going to be in your family. Was going to be the people that kind of stayed with you throughout the moves. Um, my parents, we, my parents are both. They were both born and raised in the church, and we have like really good pioneer stock, you know, on both sides of my family. And so, I was raised from from birth. I was raised as a member of the church, and we certainly. Um, the, the church was a big part and the, not only the gospel, but also the culture of the church was a big part of my upbringing and, um, wherever we went, you know, we always felt, I think really like the church was such a great connection point for us because you would move from place to place, but, um, you always had the comfort of like showing up on Sunday and knowing what to expect and knowing that you would be. You had a place, and that—that's where you're supposed to be. Um What other questions?
1: What do you remember about Texas? Do you oh. did you get an accent when you lived there, <laughs> no. or did you have any kind of impression of living in Texas?
2: Oh yeah, I loved. Uh, so it was El Paso, Texas, which is not okay. It's like more like Mexico, no. Little Mexico or New Mexico. Um So I loved it. I loved living in el paso and it was interesting because my high school and i'm gonna throw out numbers and they're gonna be totally wrong but my high school was probably like 70 it was majority mexican latino latino and then the the minority was the caucasian students so that was an interesting experience being a minority um in in my high school um But I loved it there. I had such great friendships. It was hot. We had a swimming pool in our backyard. And I just – I love – when I think of my childhood house, I think of the house there in El Paso. And my even me and my siblings now will, like, get on Redfin or wherever and, like, look at the pictures of the updated house (laughs) and just reminisce. It's it's the house that we think of and that we most – that we have all those um, really special memories about. Um, As far as an accent – No, but I do remember feeling because I because many of my friends had um Mexican heritage, and I do remember feeling sometimes that I wish I fit in more like I wish I could dye my hair black, I wish I looked more like them than I did. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah.
1: Did you pick up any Spanish
2: when you were going No. There? No. It's a tragedy. No, it is. And even in um even in high school, when you can take a language, I chose to take French. Oh. And then American Sign Language. So I didn't even try to do Spanish. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of silly. But my dad served a mission in Spain and so he spoke Spanish and I have so many memories of being like out to dinner, or he just would talk to everyone. He loved living there so that he could speak Spanish to everyone
1: all the time. And was it a, a kind of a culture where uh, you had a lot of Latino friends, or was there kind of a separation at that time? No, m- oh,
2: most of my friends were Latina.
1: Okay. Yeah, or Latina. It was just, it was just kind of a uh, mix. No one really thought about
2: different yeah.
1: cultures and yeah. like, freely went back and forth. And- it
2: was pretty. my, um, My best friend was, she lived two doors down from my house, and her dad was from mexico and her mom was from china so she was half chinese half mexican and so yeah it was really living there it it was like you were kind of immersed in the culture and we lived just you would drive through el paso and you could just see over the rio grande and see into juarez mexico and um that was always interesting because you could see the difference, like the houses, the way they looked across the river, and we would go. I have memories. My mom said we didn't go there very much, but in my mind, we went there all the time, <laughs> like to the markets and stuff. But we would we would go over there occasionally. But and something interesting as far as the church goes, there when I when I was growing up there, the closest temple was Mesa, Arizona, so it was seven or eight hours away. And we would do, so we would do temple trips once a year. All the youth would get to go to the temple as a temple trip and they would rent out buses. And it was like a big to-do, you know, you would really look forward to getting to go to the temple and we would go up there and they would have arranged places for us to stay with members. We'd spend a whole weekend staying at members' homes and going, doing baptisms and then um, coming back. But it was really unique.
1: So the elementary school, Kayleen, what would we see her doing in the afternoons, after school, and on Saturdays?
2: Um, when we ha- When we so when we moved to El Paso, I was in sixth grade, so that's still elementary school mm-hmm. for sure. Swimming when we lived in that house, it was when we got home from school or weekend, we just lived in the swimming pool. We loved it; it was so fun. Other than that. Um, I always wanted to be good at sports. Like I played some softball and it just, it's not within me. It's not natural for me. I'm not naturally athletic. Although I come from a quite athletic family. My brothers are athletic, but I just wasn't, I was a little bit uncoordinated, but I liked when I was little, I took dance classes and gymnastics and I loved all that stuff. I'd love to do cartwheels and, you know, and I playing with my friends probably, Probably if after school and on the weekends, if I could, I would be playing with my friends as, as much as possible.
1: So you started high school in Texas mm-hmm. and then finished high school in Puyallup. yep. Puyallup. yep. Okay. Um, same size schools or different?
2: Similar. They weren't too different. They were both big, bigger high bigger schools. Bigger high schools.
1: Mm-hmm. And any other differences coming from Texas to Washington Whoa. that
2: you noticed? Yeah. So the biggest thing and i don't know if this is statewide but for sure my high school the biggest difference was um in texas f- football is king right like it is the way such a culture and sports sports in general but for sure football is like those are the cool kids that's the culture the the football and the cheerleading that's really important but then when in a- Puyallup, the cool kids were the choir kids. The um, jazz choir, the show choir, they were like, those were the ones that everyone, and a lot of them were athletes or involved in other things, but it was for sure like the choir kids were the cool kids. So
1: the sports was secondary to mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. interesting music. Yeah. Huh? yeah. So were you in choir or music? No, no, I can't sing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but some of my good friends were in choir. Some of my best So you friends had an in the with the cool yeah, kids. Yeah, I had an in with the cool kids. So um, after high school, what did you do? Um. So after high school, I went right to BYU. I graduated and then started fall semester 1999. Was that a hard? How old I am. Was that a hard
1: decision to go to BYU, or was that no. a, like a no brainer? It was. You?
2: I was, So I I was raised. You know, a cougar. A cougar. I was raised a cougar. My parents both went to BYU. My mom actually is from Provo, and so there's we we blue. There's a lot of <laughs> cougar in us. And um yeah, I grew I grew up with going to Provo to visit my grandparents and then um visiting BYU and walking around the campus and imagining myself going there. And when I was in high school and I was thinking about colleges. I applied to UW because I lived here in Washington. And I thought, well might as well apply. And then I applied to BYU and that was hopefully one of the, you know, that was it. But I I wanted to, if, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't get into BYU because that was my plan. And so, and I was ready when I was 18, I was just, I was ready to go and uh, leaving home wasn't a hard thing for me. Like, Not that leaving my parents, I don't know, I just, I was kind of ready to explore and become my own person, so.
1: And what did you study at BYU? Um,
2: What did I study? Everything I studied at all. Um, I studied, so I graduated with a degree in a, a double major in psychology and speech language pathology. Really? Yeah. I know. That's interesting. That is interesting. However, so when I graduated, I had to choose between the two degrees yeah. wh- if I was going to follow the psychology path or get a master's in speech language pathology. And I chose psychology and I ended up getting a master's in marriage and family therapy Although to this day, I've, it wasn't, a, this is getting a little bit deeper, but it wasn't, I got my master's in marriage and family therapy and it was fine, but being a therapist really wasn't a match from my, like, I thought it was going to be a personality match, but it wasn't. And I think maybe a
1: speech therapist would have been a better match,
2: <laughs> but that's good. Lesson, you know, life. Hindsight. You make choices. <laughs> <laughs> know, 2020.
1: So where was your master's degree at?
2: At Seattle Pacific in okay.
1: Seattle. Hmm. So SPU. Right? SPU. Yep. Yeah. Um, did you do like a um, internship or some kind of postgraduate training with that also? Yeah, uh,
2: with my master's degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I was um, at SPU, I worked as a as a therapist at a rehab facility for. Um, it's in. Ever it's called Evergreen Manor, and it's a rehab facility for women that are pregnant or parent that are pregnant or parenting. So they've had some sort of major addiction, and um, for whatever reason they were court it's court appointed. So they're there either to keep their children or to prevent be prevented from going to prison. Um, and so it was a, it was really hard. I was there for a couple of years, and after leaving Evergreen Manor, I decided that that was it for me as far as therapy went. And it's all – you always wonder, like, if – okay, if I would have done something else or if I would have done a different – if I would have chosen a different internship, like if I would have worked somewhere else as my first therapy job, would I have had a totally different experience? And maybe, but it's what led me to, you know, other things in my life, so. Yeah.
3: So I know you served a mission. Where did that fall into
2: this timeline here? Yeah. So I did – Three years at BYU, and then I served a mission in between, um, and then I came so back. So you
3: went before graduated. all the girls were going. So yeah, was that right a girl. hard choice, or um, how did that come about? Yeah,
2: I when I knew, I think I remember when I was probably 12 or 13, I was in a Sunday school class, and it's very still ingrained in my memory that the teacher was talking about missions and teaching about missions and was talking to the boys in the room. And I remember leaving that class, that lesson that day and saying, I'm going to serve a mission. And I knew I was going to serve a mission. And I knew it until I went on my mission. It was very like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is important for me. And yeah. And when I went, it was really interesting because I come from a family of a big family, lots of cousins and aunts and uncles, and I had some family members who were like i would never let my daughters go on a mission (laughs) say that to me or just like and of my family i have i don't know multiple cousins 50 plus cousins and of the women in that and on that side of my dad's family only two of us served Mm -hmm. missions so it was it was rare but it was i knew it was the what holy father wanted for me to do and
1: was the best decision of my life, I'll say that. Did you have it planned out that you were going to do three years at BYU and then go? or Was, it, yeah, was, was there something that happened that said, okay, now it's time to go? Oh, no. I was just waiting to be 21. Oh. As <laughs> soon as I was 21, I was going on a mission.
2: <laughs> and I put my paper, I was able to put my papers in, yeah, as soon as I could. And, and then I thought I would, because I turned 21 in June, so I thought I would go as soon as I turned 21, but I didn't. Because of the way missions fall. So I got called to the Czech Republic and the way the rotations work, I didn't end up going into the MTC till September. So it wasn't soon enough. I was <laughs> like, this is, I was supposed to be on a mission in June. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, Czech Republic, was the language hard? What, what were some things that oh, you yeah. found hard about being there?
2: Yeah. So it is, the language is hard. And um, it's a Slavic language. So, it's similar to Russian or um, Ukrainian except for it doesn't use the Cyrillic alphabet. It uses a Latin alphabet. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to learn a new alphabet. That was nice. But other than that, it was hard. (laughs) It's um, yeah, it was really difficult. I, and I don't know that I have a language brain like some people. So I, I struggled for sure in the MTC and my first transfer was really, and it was, and I think part of learning a language is being willing to kind of put yourself out there and try even when it's hard or even when it's not comfortable. And um, I was really nervous. I was too nervous to kind of put myself out at first until finally I had a moment on my mission where I just felt really broken. And I remember like feeling like I'm not going to be able to stay here if I don't just get over this mm. and I had I prayed and I had a, a, a pretty spiritual experience where I knew that the Lord would follow like would hold me through the that experience and would help me and I knew that if I had faith that I could learn the language and he'd help me to learn it and then I feel like my it was my mouth was opened and mm. the language and I do I learned to speak pretty pretty good check I did a pretty good job and did a great job connecting and communicating with people but I promise that when I left it like left me like the last week or I, it was a gift it was a gift for me while I was a missionary because I needed it but and I can I can kind of speak but it it's and I can still like even so many years later I can still understand and I still have some of it but it the the fluency and the ability to talk freely, for sure, my last week or so, my mission, I could feel it
1: like changing.
3: That's so interesting. Thank you for sharing yeah.
2: that.
1: So, what was the church like in the Czech Republic? So, of course, always. It's, um. let's see. Was there a stake there, for example? No. Okay.
2: When I was there, so when I was there, it was small, it was very small. There were two districts and probably, oh uh, gosh, see, I, I hate to throw out numbers because. I'm not sure uh if they're correct but probably about 500 active members in the whole country. So the the Czech Republic is um the mission is the Czech Republic and Slovakia. It encompasses both of those countries and it's yeah, it's real small. It but it it was but there is a stake now. They oh. they established a stake in 2016. So So are people kind of like
3: with the Russian influence, like the atheist and just don't even want to listen about God?
2: Yeah. So the Czech Republic, where it's located in Europe, it's this country that its history, its political history, is that it's never really been its own entity until just recently. And it's always been taken over by different empires. And it's just this section of land that has never really had autonomy and so as a whole tech people are distrusting the organization they especially because when i served there it was the early 2000s and they had only been 10 years out of communism they came out of communism in the early 90s and so they were still were very distrusting of organizations of organized religion for sure and so is i was told it was probably like 60 percent atheist and so people weren't, they're not really open to to God or a lot of people aren't, they don't, they call themselves either believers or not believers. So there's like a very strict line between if you're a believer or not a believer. So when we would contact people, the first thing we'd ask them is, are you, are you a believer? And then that would give us, if they were a believer, then we're like, okay, like this is, <laughs> this is one of our people. We can, we can get somewhere with you. But for people who didn't consider themselves believers, we usually would ask them, well, then what is it that you do believe in or what things, you know, are important to you? And they usually would say, I believe in myself or I believe in nature. Those were the the like most common yeah. um, responses. So teaching there was part and part of, I think, their history and coming out of communism, that they are very close are very close, they're distrusting they're not like when you we would talk to people on the street I'd have people say to me like do you make a habit of talking to strangers like what are you doing it was just and I it was very like people weren't friendly you didn't talk to people in the grocery store and it's funny because even as a missionary I mean as a missionary you're, you're talking to people all the to- time even if You don't want to, right? But, and so when I got home, but even with that, I still feel like my perception of how people interacted changed because I remember coming home from my mission and being at a grocery store and someone just like chumming up to me and being really friendly and talking to me. And I remember thinking, like, what do they want from me? Like, (laughs) what are they getting at here? Because that's for sure the vibe of people. But even even that being said, there, once they let you in they're the kind of people that like once they let you into their home or into their lives they're so loving and kind and just wonderful wonderful people
1: was there a particular message in the gospel that seemed to resonate with the people who, who listened i think hmm.
2: i'm not sh- i don't know if, i'm not sure I think for me as a missionary, my favorite thing to teach, because because it was so heavily atheist, is I really did love to teach the truth of God, that there was a God and that he loved them. I loved, like I would often have this moment on the street with people where you would say like, when they would say that they weren't a believer or that, and that I would be able to testify that there is a God and he loves you. And in that moment, like most of the time that didn't turn into anything, but in that moment I could see in their eyes, I could feel it. And I knew that they felt it, that that was a truth that that they had forgotten. And I had that, I feel like I had that experience over and over. And I just loved teaching that very basic, simple Mm -hmm. truth that we learned from that we grew up seeing and knowing that we were children of God, but like teaching people that were so distant from that and to have them hear that, and to have someone look at them and testify of that truth for the first time was always was hands down my favorite thing
1: to tell to talk. It's about. Like you could see the ice melting a little bit yeah. in their eyes. Oh yeah, um, yeah.
3: That's just so beautiful, and you know you probably didn't get converts, but no. you just opening their hearts that little bit is what Heavenly Father needed
2: at that time. And and with they talk about you know sowing the seeds, right? You yeah. Know, they have this moment at this. Point. and then later who
1: knows so and that kind of reminds me of just the whole concept of the lost tribes okay right. they're not geographically lost they're they don't know who they are so they they've lost they their ad- yeah. identity and that's yeah. the basic identity of that they're a child of God so yeah. that's, that's interesting what about the Russian Orthodox Church was that big there or yeah big, so
2: for people who were religious they were members of the Russian Orthodox Church and so then that posed its own, Mm -hmm. like, difficulties, (laughs) because they're very, you know, they are are very set in ways and have very specifics, so.
3: All right, so you came home,
2: started working again? I don't yeah. know anything else. Let's there. see. Let me see if there's anything else to say. I mean, I really, we could do like five hours about my mission because yeah. I loved it so, <laughs> so much. So is there
1: anything, like one big thing you want to share about your mission? Kind of the the take home message after 18 oh
2: months. God, she 18 just
1: months. did. Yeah. That, <laughs> on, that, really, that really is actually. That <laughs> really I, is. I love that. I
2: think, you know, I just, I really loved being a missionary and uh, I loved it so much and I could talk about my mission forever, right? <laughs> um, but... And, and when I talk about my treasure chest of life, I have all these beautiful like gemstones in my treasure chest of life. And for sure, my mission is like my diamond. It's right there. I just – I really – and I knew that that would be – I think from a young age, I knew that that was going to be really important for me and to ground me in the gospel for the rest of my life. And when I have – as an adult, when I have like my questions or things, I'm often brought back to experiences I had as a missionary. But um, overall – I think I just learned what the gospel and what the truth can do for people. And for when I talk about the Czech Republic, it was this really dark place, like just in general, because it was coming on and there were these communist, you know, block buildings that people lived in. And it, you walk down the street, everyone, they smoke cigarettes and beer is cheaper than water. And kids start smoking when they're like, nine or ten and there's porn you know like their advertisements or pornography on the roads and it's just like not only a physically like a dark place because it's kind of like here in Washington they have lots of rain cloud the, the um, seasons are similar to here where it's rainy and dark but it's also just spiritually dark but the pe- the people who found the gospel they, they were light and they are light they are full of joy and beauty and like you would go in their homes and it was a completely different experience than being in this and you could feel it you would walk into these homes and sometimes we'd feel like there's these were floating in their house like it just felt so it was a complete contrast to the world that they were living in
1: how I have a couple more mission questions okay, yeah so um you were in the era where there weren't many sister missionaries right. so really we six, speaking, in my six mission. entire mission so mm-hmm. and there were probably how many elders 180 oh 80 we we're small so
2: but like throughout the time at any time there's probably six six to eleven sisters yeah. and so
1: you probably had the same companion more than once
2: or we stayed together yeah
1: stayed for, for a long time mm-hmm. yeah and um how was that um interaction with the elders with 80 elders and six sisters did you how did they treat you i guess what i'm asking you um did you feel like they were kind of putting you down a little bit as a sister or were they, or they no really, man they i
2: i was i was breaking the walls <laughs> i i was i heard you know there were for sure elders that were sister haters or that that would make fun of the sisters or whatever but i feel like my whole mission i just made really great friends and i did I had a great time. I don't know, and I, I, and maybe they would tell you differently. I don't think I was an annoying sister. I think I was like cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had great relationships, and t- to this day have some really good friends from my mission that were elders.
1: Okay, and how how did you feel when they changed the mission age to eighteen for, oh or 19, nineteen for for sisters?
2: Oh my gosh, I was so excited for them. Okay. I. I'm so excited. I was so, so, I think I probably cried. It was just like, I wish, why wasn't that the case for me? I would have gone when I was 19. But it's so great. It's, and I I just love that more girls are going and they're having that experience because sisters can do things differently than elders can and they can get into homes and they can teach people that elders can't. So, yeah. It's been great to have so many sisters. It's awesome. It's so awesome. I love it.
1: All right. So you came home. Okay. So I came home and I <laughs> went back to
2: BYU. And so before my mission, I was a psychology major. And then I came home and that's when I switched my major to speech-language pathology. And I had had so many psychology credits that I was like, I can just do both. I can So I... I finished school in five years. It took me five years, and then I graduated. And after I graduated, and I, um, I always had jobs and stuff while I was in school. But after I graduated, I my first adult job was working at the Utah College of Massage Therapy as a career counselor, <laughs> which is funny because they've already chosen their career, but, um. <laughs> My job was mostly to connect them with recruiters or I worked, I would work with all these different massage companies in Utah and try to connect, help people get jobs or kind of figure out what they were going, were they going to open their own massage business? And so then I helped them with that. Um, Yeah. So I did that for a year. And in that time was when I was applying to schools and I was trying to decide, I mentioned this earlier between speech becoming a speech therapist or becoming a marriage or doing something with psychology. And I didn't know, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I, I didn't feel strongly about one or the other. And then I went to education week and this is kind of silly to admit, but I went to education week and there was a woman speaking there that was a marriage and family therapist. And I was like, I want to think like she thinks literally that's what it, it wasn't even about becoming a therapist. It was, I want to think, I yeah, want to, yeah. I want to see the world. I want to have like a more, I want to think like she thinks. So then I started looking at the marriage and family therapy programs and there was one here in Seattle and I really loved the idea of coming back closer to where my parents lived. And so I applied there and then I applied to some speech therapy programs. And I think I applied to a couple other a psychology programs and in the end I chose to come and do marriage and family therapy here in Seattle
3: so now do you think that you think like that blended? yeah
2: <laughs> maybe I,
3: I do think yes I, do. I, I totally agree whether it's your career or not you have changed your perspective and things that you do and it's, it's another jewel in your treasure chest yeah yeah
2: <laughs> and it wasn't like I said um, therapy wasn't doing therapy was a very d- a different experience than I thought, and it it was hard. And this, especially, I worked with people that were um, drug addicts, and working with drug addicts, where they is it's a and for those people who do it and they love it and they're good at it, I respect them and I think it's amazing. But for me, it was I I hadn't had a lot of experience with addiction. I didn't know what addiction really would look like. I didn't understand it and so getting so deep into that world was really hard and I I struggled I wasn't very good at connecting with my clients or understanding them because I didn't understand addiction in in the way that I needed to to connect with them and um, I just saw some really sad hard things while I was there just really difficult to the point that when I was done working there I started applying for other therapy jobs and every time I would apply at a job, I would get like, I'm sure it was some sort of post-traumatic <laughs> experience because I would, I, I just, every time I would go to a job interview, I just was like, I don't want to work here. I don't. Okay. And so I ended up um, actually changing, kind of pivoting my career a little bit to, I ended up getting a job at, um, at a social, like doing social work and, um, working with a home health agency that was managing home health being as a social worker, managing home health for aging and long-term care clients. And I did that for a couple of years and then I got promoted and I worked at that company for six years and I ended up managing offices full of social workers that were managing um, long-term care. So it, and um, developmentally, this, or- care for clients that were developmentally disabled so it was great I really liked, and for me it was a better fit because it felt I always felt with therapy I didn't know how to give my clients the tool like real tools that were practical and that would help them make real changes in their lives but working as a, as a social worker or working with where you're coming at someone with actual resources was just a better, I felt like I could actually make a difference. And so I really loved, and and in the end, I found out that I really just love managing people. <laughs> 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 I was pretty good at it. So, uh, yeah.
1: So you were in a single adult ward thing during this time yeah. in the Seattle area? In Seattle.
2: Mm-hmm. So I moved to Seattle when I was, 27 I think 26 or 27 and I was going I was in the Y the young single adult wards until I turned 31 and then I moved to the single adult or it was um not it was like a in Seattle they have they call it a I can't remember they a target ward where they have half of the members are family members or families And then the other half are all the single people from the city. So it didn't matter where you live. You went to this ward if you were a single adult.
1: So what was your general experience in the single adult ward there? Yeah.
2: Okay. So as a young single adult, or even as a single adult, I was just, I loved the community. It had like, there's such a great community among the members and, uh, and you can create these really deep. I have so many. Wonderful, deep, beautiful friendships from college, and also them from that time in my life living in Seattle. And they're people that I will, I think, will be my friends forever. And because at the time when you're, especially when you're living away from home and you're living in a big city, there's something about needing family when you don't have family, and so your friends and your roommates become this family for you, and they support you. I I used to say, you know, my roommates were my mom and my dad and they were my brother and sister and they were my kids, you know, they were all of the things because, because we, and we played that role for. Did you
3: kind of live with the same few friends then for most of those years? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I, I super, I really lucked out when I moved here. I ended up with just in a house full of girls. I think there was nine or so girls living in this big house in the U district in Seattle. And then from that group, a couple of those girls and I became good friends. And we ended up moving together in kind of that same group. We lived together for many years. Oh, that's good. That's
3: a good good experience.
1: Now, some people, um, when they go to BYU, they feel that if they don't get married while they're there, that they they weren't successful. Was that (laughs) – were you one of those people? No. (laughs) So you were fine with coming out of there without that degree. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I didn't
1: bother you at all. mm,
2: I was. And I think part of it, I, uh, I wasn't looking to date or even for marriage when in the first, my first three years of school, because I was going on a mission and I know I was going on a mission. So it wasn't like part of what I was looking for. And then when I came home, I just, I think I had my friend, my friends from college. We always used to, joke we were like such good friends and we all lived together before my mission and then we all went, most of us went on missions around the same time. And then we came back and we all oh, wow. lived together post mission. And we all said like, we had to move away from each other for any of us to get married because we just had so much fun together and we weren't interested in, um, in getting that degree. And so, <laughs> getting our degree. MRS. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, when I left, I, and I feel I was able to, Right after I graduated from BYU, I traveled to Europe with one of my friends. We backpacked through Europe, and I
1: feel like oh I was able God. to
2: do some really fun things and just have lots of really big experiences. So I never, I didn't, I didn't feel, and I was lucky. Most of my friends didn't start getting married until they were about twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. So I didn't really feel left out at, for for most of those years. But I know that a lot of girls. Or women, a lot of people when their friends are getting married at twenty twenty one, they start feeling like, yeah, it's the thing to do.
1: So let me just ask you about backpacking through Europe. Yeah. So I've heard <laughs> this being done. So do you actually walk all the way, or do you no, walk? no, or, no? How do you get around?
2: It means you have a backpack. Okay. <laughs> it mostly means you wear a backpack, and, and then you and but, not much else. Luggage
3: is that it? That's just it. Kind of you just,
2: it. You just take like a a hiking backpack, and then. We would take the train you like we would get you can get one of their train passes mm-hmm. a euro rail and go all over Europe. We took the train and then we'd also inside europe um a lot of the airlines like Ryanair, you can fly for thirty dollars from Ireland mm. to somewhere else, and so we would take some of the mm. inter europe flights and you're not no you're just you have all you have is a backpack so you can easily use public transportation. Mm-hmm. And,
1: and how long uh, did you, was this trip?
2: We were there for three weeks. Okay. Wow. And it was...
1: Um, Which countries did you We visit? We did
2: Italy and Switzerland. Oh, England or Ireland. Italy, Switzerland. And we went to the Czech Republic. We went back to the Czech Republic. Okay. And yeah, it was really fun.
1: Could you still speak a little bit?
2: I Just could then. Okay. I don't know if I could now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was it was really fun. Um, when I went, we did this thing called this was I would I would not want my daughter to do this or my child at this point, but we did this thing called couch surfing. It was like oh, a nice. new thing on the internet where you would pre Airbnb. It was pre Airbnb. Yeah. You would register yourself, and then the, people would just say, "Come stay on my couch." So, but it, you would go into their home, and so you're like staying with these strangers in their homes. I don't know. Um,
3: did they even have Google Maps then? Like, how did you get around without, <laughs>
2: without yeah, a phone? Yeah, in yes, the yeah. It was like 2006. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, there had to have been we – had, we had some sort of map. So we had cell phone, but we didn't take our phones with us. We had to have the Phones the didn't do
3: nearly
0: as much. And then we didn't have smartphones, yeah. no.
3: So was the trip like pretty pre- pre-planned out? You knew where you want to go and you kind of had dates or did you just say let's go to London yeah. and we'll take it from there? We had it.
2: We had certain <laughs> air, like flights, but then other than that, a lot of it we didn't have places to stay oh, or gosh. One of my favorite memories was going in Switzerland. We were following Rick, Rick Steves. Uh Yes, he's Yeah, a great guy. Rick Steves. Yeah. We we're following his what would we call it his like Tour, of Tour I guess, yeah, so. whatever it was, um, and we were going to this place called Gimmelwald, which is up
1: in the. Alps. Yes,
2: have you been?
3: Have, yes, yeah. you went.
1: Did you guys stay in the mountain hostel? No.
2: Oh, where would you did you stay? We stayed down in the valley. Oh,
1: you stayed down there. Yeah, we went up on the tram and came back. Okay,
2: so <laughs> so we were we decided we last minute while we were there that we were going to go to Gimmelwald and we it says in his book that you can stay at the mountain hostel, but we didn't have a reservation. We didn't know. And so we just like, it takes forever to get there. Like you take a, a train and then a bus and then a tram. And then you have to take that gondola thing, all of the things. And we didn't know if we were going to have a play. And I just remember this feeling of like, we're going to get there. And are we going to be able to sleep? Or are we sleeping on a bench tonight? And we just, and the further we got into it. And then when you get on the gondola thing to go up, I was like, what are we doing? And the only people in the gondola with us were people that were, living there that there was no other tourist in there with us when we arrived so we land in Gimmelwald and it's night and it's foggy and it just was the most magical feeling just like where what are we doing and we just kind of wandered through and I finally found and there was room for us at the hostel and everything was fine but yeah that was kind of the vibe
1: vibe of it we
2: just what a fun adventure it was fun Yes, you're able to do lots of fun things.
1: So you're having just a rockin' time yeah, as a single life. adult. It and, was great. And then eventually you met yeah. your, your spouse. So tell yeah. us about that.
2: So, yeah. So I met Ian when I was 32. So by that point, I had done lots of traveling and had a career that I was proud of and lots of friends. And I think finally I was at the place where I was like, okay, I'm, I think I'm ready to, <laughs> to find someone or to, um, settle, down. to settle down. So... I think for the first time in my life, I was ready to, to really date like in a real way. And I had dated other people right throughout all that time. There was lots of experiences, but I finally decided I need to make some change. I think actually someone had told me the story and the tagline of the story is if it's not working, do something different. And I thought, And I'd always been opposed to online dating and that wasn't for me because it was still kind of new and had a little bit of a stigma. If you like online dated and met someone, it was weird or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I kind of um, avoided it. But finally, in 2013, I was 32, I said, I'm going to try it. I'm going to do something new. What I was, what I've been doing, hasn't been working. I'm gonna do something new, and so I started online dating, and it was so fun. And I met tons of guys, and it was just this really great. It was a really I like, and I think mentally I opened up and I changed a lot about how I saw dating. And I just started dating tons of people all at the same time online. But then once I was open to online dating, I feel like other avenues of meeting people opened up. I just think I was
1: finally ready. To start meeting people. So were you on like a specific LDS site or just a general site?
2: Um, I I was on yes, I was on an LDS site called LDS Planet, but I, but I also was doing general stuff. Just I kind of in my whole do something new. I thought I think I'll just date in Seattle and maybe there's a great guy that I can convert to the church. Like <laughs> I don't know because I had da- I felt at that point I had either dated or I knew most of the guys in the single. Wards or like in that scene in Seattle oh, that I wasn't interested. I knew that I probably wasn't going to find a spouse in the people that were in my yeah. current realm of um of experience. So I got online and I'm yeah I started dating that that year. I just started dating a bunch of guys and Ian and I. We, so, we met the old-fashioned way. That's how I always like to say we met online, on LDS Planet, the old-fashioned <laughs> <No fashion> way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was actually, at this time, talking to some other people. and And he was talking to someone else. And so, at first, we kind of connected and we texted a little bit. And then he chose to date the other girl that he was talking to. Mm-hmm. So, then suddenly... He just wasn't talking to me anymore. So (laughs) it was fine. I dated a bunch of people. And then a couple months later, out of nowhere, he sends me a text. It was like referenced something we had been texting about before. And then we just sparked it back up and started texting. And we texted. It was a little ridiculous, to be honest. We texted for... Weeks before we finally met. And he so you, would, hadn't, you hadn't met yet. No, and he would never call me. He wouldn't call me. He just text. And we had the funniest, just like bantery text messages. And it was, it's just, I knew this person was so wonderful, but it was all via text message. And then finally he asks me out, and we, I think after a couple of weeks of texting, we finally go on our first date, and it was so wonderful. I mean, it was so great meeting him. I think when I met him. When I finally met him, he showed up on my door and I was like, I feel like I need to hug you. And he thought it was really weird, but it probably was a little bit weird. (laughs) But um, where was the
1: first date to then?
2: Oh gosh, we went to the Victorian Country Christmas at the Puyallup Fairgrounds, which for anyone listening, who does online dating, you do not want to go on a full day date on your first online date, but I did and it was fine. But <laughs> just a tip for anyone who's going to online date, that's not it's, usually a good idea. it doesn't work out. That's probably terrible, day. yes. <laughs> but I knew it was going to work out, I think I just knew
1: you knew each other pretty well from just the texting. I mean, I had, mean it was some, really
2: bantery you and had some really basis, though, mm-hmm. it wasn't
1: totally a blind date,
2: no, but he wouldn't, I was kind of weirded out that he wouldn't call me. I would think that you would just want to call this person that you're texting or at least bridge that gap that I finally found out at some point, maybe on the first day, I think I said, well, do you want to call me? Can we talk on the phone? And he's like, yeah, the last girl I I dated, she was super weird on the phone. So I I didn't want to, I, I didn't, I was nervous to talk to you on the phone. I didn't want to mess it up. But then after that, we would talk on the phone. But at first, he was too nervous to mess it up.
3: And you knew right from the beginning that he was divorced and had the kids.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I that was part of my mantra of like do something different, right? As mm-hmm. I had never dated, i never dated anyone with kids or who had been divorced, and so I kind of was more open to that when I was online looking at guys. I think I'm pretty sure on his profile there were pictures of his children, or he had. He had written on there that he had children. So I knew when we were texting and before we went on our date that he mm-hmm. had children.
3: So that never bothered you or entered your mind? You were just enjoying oh. him and
2: didn't worry about parenting at all? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think when you first think, I'll date someone with kids, you don't think, like, I'm going to marry someone with kids. And certainly it <laughs> wasn't. I think it wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't part of... What I pictured when I thought about marriage or how the person I married that I would choose to be a stepmom um, and and certainly when we were dating, it was probably the biggest obstacle of figuring out if that was the right thing for me. I remember um so when we were dating um when he when he proposed, actually, I was one hundred percent about Ian. I knew he was my person, and I knew we were a great match and that we would make a great partnership, but I wasn't 100% about being a stepmom. It was um, still something I was trying to figure out. And so he proposes and we kind of laugh about it now because he proposed. I was a little caught off guard. It was a little sooner than I had thought. And, he, put, he had put the ring in a book he like cut out a square in a book and he put there it was hanging in this book and he hands me this book so to read he wants to show me something. He's like, go to this page look at look at this page. And I open the page and the rings in there and I immediately open the book and then I shut it really fast and I'm like what? <laughs> and then and then I then I stand there for a couple minutes and I say, huh? what?" And I didn't know to say yes or no because I didn't know that I, if I was ready to marry him or not. So I just stood there probably for a good minute saying, huh? What? Uh, what? Huh, uh, what? And then I just thought, but I shut the book. And I couldn't sing the ring. And I was like, I just want to see that ring. And so I'm just going to say yes so I can see the ring. <laughs> so I said, yes. And then we looked at the ring. But I, in all honesty, I didn't know if it was right to marry him or to, And I knew that marrying Ian meant marrying his children and that it was more than just like, I'm just going to marry this man and he has kids. It was, I'm going to marry this man and become a mother and take care of these children. And to me, it meant being their mom and taking them in as my own. And so um, the next day actually was the, the women's conference and it was the first women's conference. It was, general conference weekend and it was the first women's conference where they had invited the eight-year-olds to come and I don't you probably don't remember this but they had invited the eight-year-olds to come with their moms and I, I went with my sister and my niece who was eight years old at the time and my mom and we were all sitting in this we just went to a church and we were in my sister's chapel I think sitting in at the back and they had the little they were kind of introducing the fact that they were going to have the, the girls um, coming with their parent, their moms, to these, this con- these conferences from now on. And they had the little girls stand up and sing, Teach Me to Walk in the Light. And in that moment, as my niece was standing, it wasn't even, Kimber it was my niece, as she was standing next to me, I knew that Kimber and Lucas needed somebody that would teach them the gospel and that would teach them to love their heavenly father and to love their savior and it was like such a strong it was that moment in my life where I knew that not only was Ian the right person for me but that this was part of what heavenly father wanted for me to do here on earth was to take care of these children that needed someone who would teach them the truth and to teach them the gospel so
3: it's so beautiful, yeah. <laughs> I And I, and I,
2: and I have such a testimony that the heavenly father cares so much about his children and that he cares about them having mothers and parents that will teach them and direct them. And it's, it's important to him. And I, I, I know that like Ian and I are a great match in all the ways, but I also know that he really, that he really cares about Kimmer and Lucas and about their, um, and and about their salvation and about their lives and um and moving forward as things kind of happen in our lives you know and some bad things happen and with their biological mom she's not part of their life anymore at all and I know that they they needed me and they need me still and um yeah, it's a very strong part of like when it gets hard being a mom, and when it gets hard, and they're teenage, and they're such teenagers right now, you know, <laughs> that I, I, I have, I, just telling the story or thinking about it, I, I know that like, this is where I'm supposed to be, and that I need to be with these kids, and that, and that they were, that it was part
1: of the plan. Good for you. Makes the sacrifice worth it. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> wow. Okay.
1: Okay. A Couple more questions.
3: Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, See, so I was, can talk, you guys know. That's okay. <laughs> you
1: know. Um, so just talking, just thinking about being a step-parent. Yeah. <clears throat> um, looking at your experience, you've been married for how long now? Been, uh, seven and a
2: half seven years.
1: Seven and a half years. Anything that you, looking back on that experience as being a step-parent, um, that you've learned that maybe someone else who's going to go through this, you would give them advice on? You feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, I don't want to push too many buttons here.
2: Yeah, I think I think it could be a really beautiful experience, and um, just uh, breaking down the walls. And I I actually hate the phrase "step parent," and no. my kids actually hate. They would <clears throat> never call me their stepmom, no. or
1: um, because to them at this point, I am their mom and um did did they refer to you as mom from day one or how was that
2: yeah pretty close uh from the from the moment they were
3: five and eight they were five and seven five and seven so it's yeah they were still little
2: and their biological mom was still a part of their life but i think that they knew i think they just desperately wanted a mom that would be um what they needed what what they they i don't know how to say it but I think they craved some sort of attention. T- to ex- experience, yeah.
3: Everything you get
2: from. So with. when I met, or okay, so from did it happen right away? Yes. When I Ian and I walked out of the temple, Kimber was calling me mom like <laughs> immediately, and then probably a month later, Lucas joined the club. He took he took he took a little bit longer, but it wasn't too long. And they've called me mom ever since. And even um, with their biological mom, we have different ways of referring to the two of us when we're talking mm-hmm. about us. But in general, well,
1: they just call me mom. So anything, experience that you've had that you would be, give advice to someone who might yeah, be going advice. through this experience?
2: I would, I would just say for sure, like prayer and following the spirit. And I think... I've I've said many prayers asking that I would love them and feel about them the same way that a biological parent would feel about their children because there is some there is something different like of having a child and raising them from birth to you know having those experiences when they're babies it it does feel different but I definitely don't feel any different about Kimber and Lucas than I do about my biological children, and I think that that's because I've prayed for it and I've asked for that, and I know that it's something I've worked towards. So I think, I think it can be hard. I don't. It's it's hard to really think of an advice, something to give as advice. I think that's good advice already. Just (laughs) just love them and pray for for all all the help you need. Yeah, probably.
1: I think that's an interesting concept that you just expressed that you you prayed for that gift to feel the same way about them as you about your biological children. So that's interesting. So a few more few more quick questions here. Um. When was the first time you came to Anacortes? Had you been oh, before or was yeah. that when you met Ian?
2: I may have come before, but the first time that I really remember coming to Anacortes was when we were dating. I had gone, I'd gone to the San Juan Islands, So I'd certainly come through Anacortes at some point. Cause I went to the San Juan Islands, but I don't remember that. I think just coming through mm-hmm. was not too much of an experience. But when I came when we were first dating, the first night that um, I came up here to see him was probably, but I don't, I don't remember Anna Curtis, I only remember Ian. <laughs> of course, it was such a w- wonderful night, but it had nothing to do with the city.
1: <laughs> so, any first impressions as you kind of came yeah. up here? Yeah. When we would started come started up, kind
2: of- oh my gosh, it was so great because it was it's about an hour. It was about an hour and fifteen minutes, an hour and thirty minutes from where I was living in Seattle, and it just felt so. While we were dating, we did that little bit of commute back and forth and he would come down some weekends and I would, cause I was working full time. And so we had to just date on the weekends really. And, um, I just would love it when I would be able to come up here and spend time up here. It's beautiful. And it's where we fell in love really, you know, Mm -hmm. where we dated and spent time, you know, going to garage sales and walking around. Mm -hmm. It was just great. We had so much fun. And then, um, after we were married, his parents live here. And so we would come up here and we, whenever we'd be up here, we'd always think, how do we get to live up here? How do who are these people and how do they get to live here? And so we eventually decided, well, let's figure out how to be those people. And that's when we kind of made a plan and to start our own business and to be
1: able to come up here. So why was it that you felt like this was what you wanted to, what attracted you to Anacortes? Oh, geez. Um, for you i mean for me i wish you could
2: answer um what attracted us i think it's just so be it is so beautiful and it has such a great we were living in federal way which we like to call felony way <laughs> um <laughs> it was our kids had multiple lockdowns at school and i was at the church one sunday and there were like there's a shooting out like a a block away and then the cops are coming in like this is the foster or Lucas, not foster. Lucas is at Cub Scouts and the cops are coming and shutting down, blocking out the church and making sure that the shooter isn't in our church. And we were just living there wasn't for us. And we wanted to get away from the city and kind of looking for a smaller, slower pace and more community. I really love the idea of living in a smaller place where there's a tighter community where you know people when you go to the grocery store you know um, so that was really appealing to me and then just how beautiful it is here and all of the beaches and all the nature we just loved it
1: what's your go to hike here in Anacortes
2: oh I'm a Washington Park looper okay.
1: <laughs> probably like many <laughs> it's so good um, and what do you love most about the Anacortes Ward?
2: I love that it is
1: – Besides your last bishop.
2: Besides, besides <laughs> my former bishop, um, I love the sen- – this is for sure the smallest ward I think I've ever been in, and I love the sense of community. Like I was just saying, I really like a place where you feel like you have a place and where you feel needed, And I really appreciated the opportunities to get to know people through service and through working in the church. And I feel like I've had lots of opportunities to participate in, um, lots serving even outside of my calling. And, um, I just feel like it's really sweet. What we have going It's a small community of people that are all, working on the same goal.
1: I love that. Okay. And then yeah. um, any last questions from you, Christine? I have one last question. We're going to make our signature question.
3: Right, here. right. Well, I <clears throat> gave you a clue on this. I, I know that you love parties and yes, events. Girl. And so yeah. you go ahead and tell us something that's your favorite to do or <sighs> a party that you participated in or a celebration of whatever.
2: I yes. do love parties and celebrations. It's something I love so much. Probably my favorite party I've ever thrown was um, when I lived in Seattle. This one girlfriend, and um, she and I would throw parties together quite frequently. And she's got – together we have a really great synergy. Like, we can really do some amazing things. And we threw – at Halloween we threw a witch's party. And she worked – she was a graphic designer and she worked in this – building in Capitol Hill and we were able to use her office space and it was kind of in this weird space and we we so we did a party like on site or and we set it up with just decorated the whole space it was very industrial looking and we had a cauldron and everyone came dressed as witches and you came in they were actually doing construction in the building. So you came in through this kind of weird construction, like plywood tunnel to get to the room. And it was all, we had all this fabulous food and all these weird gimmicks. And we put on basically dinner theater where we were acting. I was acting like this witch and I, I don't know, I threw a fit at some point and threw a, a fake bird out the window and then a friend brought a, a, one of our guy friends showed up at the door with this bird with a message like just ridiculous <laughs> fun crazy witches party that I wish I could just relive that party over and over it was Sounds so fabulous. it was really magical <laughs> it was great but we threw we threw a lot of parties like that
3: mm-hmm. it was great so fun i've been to some of your parties you do a great job <laughs> i love to throw a party
1: Okay, our final question If you could send one message 100 years into the future for your posterity to hear, what would it be?
2: That's a good question. I think, I think it's a mixture message of like, um, this life is really special, and just enjoy it and love it and live it to, and make it as full and beautiful as you can. And stay on the path follow heavenly father know that god loves that there is a god and that he loves you
0: thank you for joining us today on the of one heart podcast we hope you enjoyed getting to know a little better another member of the anacourse war family we will be giving everyone the opportunity to be interviewed on the podcast But if you want to volunteer, please contact Brother or Sister Murray or President Gardner.